Today's quote comes from Henry David Thoreau. Methinks that the moment my legs begin to move, my thoughts begin to flow. Hey y'all, I'm Paul Severs, interpreter with Great Parks of Hamilton County. You are listening to Take It Outdoors, a show where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. Today's episode, Animals in Winter. And when I say animals, I mean even us. Take a hike on a cold winter day and it might seem that all of nature is sleeping. A feeling of loneliness comes over you, but it is strangely comforting. You breathe deeper, your senses come alive, your feet, they stop moving. You simply stand in the crisp air, wishing time to stop. The longer you stand, however, the more the forest comes alive. A squirrel digs up its treasured meal. A kinglet flits by, calling every few seconds to ensure that she is not alone. Blue jays yell in the distance. Animal tracks crisscross the path in front of you. What seemed frozen with the cold is suddenly alive and full of energy with the sun. And yet there is still so much more happening beneath the surface. Nature is not sleeping, waiting for the return of spring. No, nature is gearing up for the return of spring. It is potential energy waiting for the moment to become kinetic. We'll start today talking about good winter hiking practices, and then we'll take it outdoors to talk about what those beneath the surface events are in nature that are happening all around us. To start with these good winter hiking practices, we are joined by Allison Cohn, who is the Adventure Outpost Coordinator with Great Parks. Allison, thanks for joining us today on Take It Outdoors. Thanks for having me, Paul. All right, so let's start with the first and most obvious thing, the proper clothes to wear. What is good to take and what is not good to take? So let's say even on a day like today, it's about, I don't know, 25 degrees outside, a little bit of a wind, a light snow. I mean, it's a perfect winter day, really. What should we wear? Layers. Definitely layers. All right. Because <laughs> as you're hiking, you're heating up and then cooling down and heating up and cooling down. So you want to be able to add layers and remo- remove layers as you're hiking. So for instance, right now I'm wearing a base layer of synthetics to make sure that if I start sweating, it wicks it away from my skin. Then I'll add a layer on top of that to keep me warm and insulate me. It could be fleece. It could be a um, wool sweater, whatever your preference is, but something that doesn't hold the water against you. And then finally, you want to have some kind of outer shell to block that wind and rain. All right. So you talk about synthetics, and I assume you mean not cotton, not correct? Not cotton. Okay. Yeah. So I've heard people talk about cotton kills. Yeah. Kind of. It, it, it holds the water in it. So it's when you're, it's this cold outside, it's freezing and it's dropping your core temperature, which is what we're trying to avoid. Okay. So synthetics, layers, no cotton. Mm-hmm. So what about the debate between gloves and mittens? I wear gloves. I have a pair of mittens right here next to me. And I've heard mittens are better. Is that true? Uh, It it depends. So um, what you'll see me wearing if I'm out hiking is a pair of glove liners. And then I'll have the mittens over the top and also some hand warmers inside of my mittens because I get cold pretty easily. But mittens, because of the openness of it, is supposed to trap the heat and keep those... um, Flanges, nice and warm. <laughs> All right. All right. So you're not even, I mean, you're layering everything. You're even yes. layering your hands. All right. So we've got our body covered. We've got our hands covered. What about socks? Now, this, I love wool socks by a certain brand. I won't, I won't say the brand name, but <laughs> I love wool socks. We'll just leave it at that. Once it turns cold, I love it because immediately I bust my wool socks out. And until spring, that is all that I wear. What do you got? What wool socks. socks. Wool socks, yeah. But, I mean, you can do synthetic socks as well. But the idea here is you want to make sure that the wool or synthetic or whatever sock you're wearing is not keeping your foot too hot because once that foot starts sweating, 
the temperature of your foot drops again. So you're trying to have that delicate balance with your layers, whether it be your feet, your body, or your hands, making sure it's layered nicely so that when you start sweating, you can either remove things or you're not sweating at all, but not getting cold, of course. And one little tip that I learned, unfortunately, is I went hiking and it was an all-day hike and my socks were too big. Mm. And I learned the hard way. I got mm-hmm. the worst blister. I had to end, we had to hike out early because this blister was so bad. And my socks, were, it, was, it was all my socks. They were just too big. It was awful. So make sure you wear the right size socks too. Yeah. So what about shoes? Uh, I don't know. There's this argument that goes back and forth about like waterproof versus breathable. It's really your preference. I wear waterproof, but I've also learned this year that sometimes waterproof is not the best route. Um, but in the winter, I'm wearing some kind of waterproof boots so I can walk around and it keeps my foot dry. Um, but at the same time, it's protecting it from the outside elements. It's a little bit thicker than like a gym shoe uh, that you might be wearing in maybe spring, summer, and fall. But I like boots that support the ankles. So if I step in a crack on a crack or a hole or something, it's supporting the ankles, but it's also nice and sturdy and warm. So I'm a fan of waterproof boots. Well, one other tip that I've learned the hard way is no steel-toed when you're hiking in the winter. <laughs> Why is that, that Paul? That is the <laughs> coldest experience ever. That steel just, it sucks your heat out and mm-hmm. it holds in that cold. And um, it's, oh, that was terrible. So yeah, don't hike in steel-toed boots. Even if it's a good deal, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> so let's go to the head now mm-hmm. and hats. And I've always heard, and this kind of seems silly to me, I kind of get it, but they always talk about you lose most of the heat through your head. Mm-hmm. But really, I mean, your body's giving off heat mm-hmm. equally all over. It's just the head is kind of the last thing we cover, yeah. right? So, I mean, yeah, cover your head, but I mean, you got to make sure everything else is covered because it's going to be losing heat at the same rate. So what do you got for hats, though? I, I like to wear something that's uh, got a layering system in it. So fleece-lined wool exterior or something like that. Because uh, it, I can, it keeps me nice and warm. But if I get hot, I can pop it off, and then I can just pull my hood from my jacket over to kind of open up the space a little bit. So having different options while you're out is my preference. So we're all about layers. Layers doesn't matter. Layer yeah. it up. All right. So synthetics, no cotton. Layers, gloves, and mittens, whatever you prefer. <laughs> Wool socks, waterproof boots. Maybe breathable if you want that instead. Just no steel-toed. Let's talk about gear. What's what's the uh, you know what kind of gear do you want to take? And just for the listener here, we're not talking about hiking in Yellowstone in the middle of winter. We're talking about hiking here in Hamilton County. And again, when temp- temperatures are typically in the twenties, although last January we had temperatures basically at zero for a month, so we can get to some extremes. But we're still talking about here, and really, you can't be safe enough, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you even if it's just a mile hike, you still want to make sure you're safe. So what kind of gear and things should you pack along with you? I think the question you have to ask yourself is, what's your goal for this hike? Is it like a quick little workout, check out some nature? If you're going to go for a couple hours, what's the terrain that you're going to be on? You have to like kind of plan ahead and prepare or think about what you're going to get into before you go out, and that will help you determine what you're going to bring. But at a minimum, you want to kind of think about your basic needs. So water. Sure. There might be water around in the lake or the creek or something like that, but you don't want to drink that. There may be snow, but that's going to drop your core body temperature when you start eating that. It may not get you the hydration you need, but we are losing more 
or we're burning up more energy, so we need to keep refueling ourselves with water and food. So you got to bring snack and some water at a minimum. But then what else are you going to go and do? Check out some birds? Binoculars, right? It's always a good idea. Even yeah. if you're not planning on it, just take binoculars. You never know what's going to be out there. I know. Yeah. It's winter. You can see so much further. Yes. So you got to be able to see with some binoculars. Um, I think another good thing to bring is like a pack to kind of put it all in. Because you don't want to carry it around. you got to keep your hands warm, but you're also like checking things out and looking around. So having something to toss it in is a really good idea. So the snacks and water. And then there's this, this other thing we call like the 10 essentials. Um, it's like your bare minimum that you would bring with you. And it's a system. So you either add to it or take away from it, depending on what kind of hike you're going on. And that looks at things like navigation, sun protection, insulation, illumination, like lights. Um, first aid, fire, if you have any like long day hikes, you might have to do some repairs on, I don't know, like your rain pants if you're going out. So you might need some patches for that. Um, and then we mentioned like the food and the hydration. And then the last thing people forget about is like some kind of shelter. Cause what if you do break your ankle or if you get stuck or you're out helping someone else out and they need help? Like that shelter is not something you're normally thinking about but it's good to have and it's as simple as like i don't know a tarp or something all right let's let's jump into hypothermia for a little bit there's a, a really interesting book it's called lost and it's by dwight mccarter and he was a ranger and a tracker at in the great smoky mountains um and he talks about it's kind of just his journal entries where he talks about you know people get lost in the smokies one how easy it is for people to get lost. So you don't have to be in thousands and thousands of acres. I mean, a lot of these people are just like step off the trail and, and mm -hmm. they're lost. Um, but he also talks a lot about them in the wintertime. And for those that, you know, had an unfortunate ending, it was typically hypothermia in that they were found taking their jackets off and their hats off and their gloves off, which just seems so crazy. But that that's kind of what happens with hypothermia, right? I mean, you eventually you start to feel warm? Yeah, that's the extreme situation. Typically, most people would be aware that there was something happening prior to the taking off of clothes because you think you're really, really hot. Um, what's happening there is like it's a change of mental status. So your body's gotten so far shut down um, from trying to keep warm. So you're like, you're, you're just like, the bare minimums working inside your heart and your brain and other things are starting to shut down. So that's why you think that you're really, really hot when you're not, you're very, very cold. So that's an extreme situation. Um, but before, like if you're out for a really long time, you're going to be cold. But if you are starting to shiver and then you stop, that's a warning sign. So you want to kind of be aware of yourself and each other while you're out and then make, um, Stops like either indoors, like at one of the buildings that are heated, go bathroom breaks or things like that to stay warm or plan to not be out for very long. One myth that I, I wanted to point out too about hypothermia is alcohol actually can lower your body temperature, which I didn't, I didn't realize that. So a lot of people talk about, oh, you know, take a shot, it'll warm you up. And you might feel warmer. I mean, your brain is thinking that, but that's only because it's dilating your blood vessels and it's coming to the surface, you feel warmer, but in the end, you're actually exacerbating the lowering of your body temperature. So alcohol, not a good idea when winter hiking. Just throw that out there. All right. I, I, I found this chart here with 
like degrees of water temperature. So right now we're, we're talking about water. Obviously, you can get hypothermia just from cold air temperatures, yep. which basically in our bodies are what, 98.6? Mm-hmm. I think if the research I've done is correct, anything, once your body drops below 95, yes. technically those are hypothermia, right? Okay. So in water temperature, though, I, I found some interesting numbers. So say, again, in a typical winter day, you know, the water outside might be right now 40, 45 degrees, something like that. Um your expected time of survival would be one to three hours. Now that, I mean, that three hours might seem like a long time, but yeah, I you wouldn't know, want to do that. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, say you're hiking and you accidentally trip and you fall in the water and say there's icing conditions or something happens and you just can't quite crawl back out. Or even if you do crawl back out and you're still wet, but you can't get anywhere. I mean, three hours is not a long time for somebody to realize one that you're missing and two to come find you. Yes. So that, yeah. So again, you know, we're not talking just about being in Yosemite in the middle or Yellowstone in the middle of wintertime. Like this, this is stuff that, you know, obviously you, you just have to keep in the back of your head of, Hey, I got to be prepared for this. Um, hypothermia is, is something that's real. So let's say you start to feel these symptoms or you notice them in the person you're hiking with. What's really, I mean, basically just get somewhere warm. Yeah, you want to start to slowly um, warm yourself or someone else back up. So you're not like dumping them in a big hot bath. You're like slowly warming everything up. Um, if they're conscious and capable of eating, getting them some food and something um, warmer to drink would be nice too. But really, you're you're trying to stop it before it gets to that point. So you're looking for things in yourself and others like shivering, slurred speech or mumbling, slow or shallow breaths, weak pulse, clumsiness, but with me, that's pretty normal. <laughs> um, so you're looking for something that's not their normal behavior. So hopefully you're going out hiking with people you know and you're um, keeping an eye on each other. If you start noticing some of those things, start making a plan to leave, which is um, one way of planning ahead is you're thinking about where you're going and how you're going to get there, but also like what are your plan B options if you need them? Basically, the bottom line is don't don't push it. Yeah. I mean, no know your your capabilities yeah. and what you can yeah. confidently there, do. There's a good rule of thumb to hike at the level of the person with the least experience so no one is actually um, ever at risk or pushing themselves too far. So just talk to the group before you go out, or if you're going by yourself, know what your limits are and listen to your body. And tell somebody where you're going. Yes. <laughs> All right, so the other thing then, I mean, the two big things, the biggest fears, I guess you could say, when you're, you know, say if you get stuck outside, hypothermia is one, frostbite mm-hmm. is another. Um, and I actually, in doing a little bit of research, I found this kind of interesting because it, it just never really occurred to me. But and they say, you know, if your fingers are red and it hurts, that's that's kind of normal. That's not always a bad thing. With frostbite, it's more about loss of feeling and actually no color. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really because I, I mean, thankfully I've never experienced that, but that's not what I would think. Like, oh, I'm okay. It doesn't really hurt. Like a little bit of numbness is whatever, but I guess that's not a good thing. Yeah, the, that really white color is in like losing feeling is a sign that you probably uh, want to return to the indoors and slowly warm those hands back up because um, you're probably heading something what they call frostnip, which is before frostbite. <laughs> okay, I've never frostnip. I've frost never nip. heard that. <laughs> yeah, something new, something new. And I also, I, I found a little chart that talked about like frostbite times and wind chill, which if anybody's interested, I found the the formula for wind chill. Have you ever seen it? I think I have, It's a yeah. lot crazier than I thought it would be. So it's basically wind chill in Fahrenheit equals 35.74 plus 
35.6215 times air temperature minus 35.75 times wind speed to the 0.16 power plus 0.4275 times air temperature times wind speed to the 0.16 power. Can you do that all in your head? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> let's say it's uh, 25 degrees outside and it is, oh, I don't know, maybe five miles per hour is the wind. You're looking at about a wind chill of, hold on, to one point, uh, yeah, 19 degrees. 19 deg- no, I got the chart right in front of me. <laughs> but I thought it also gave the frostbite times. And, you know, again, today it's about 25 degrees outside. There's a 10 mile per hour wind, which makes it a wind chill of 15 degrees. And frostbite can set in with only 30 minutes. Typically, if you're going out for a hike, you're going to be out for 30, at least 30 minutes. So that, you know, just something to keep in mind. I'm certainly not trying to scare anybody, but just be prepared. Yeah, plan prepared, ahead and prepare, so. right? Yeah. Um, when you, you know, get into like the 10 minutes and five minutes, those are pretty extreme temperatures that we just don't experience that often around here. So um, 30 minutes is kind of a good. That's still a pretty good prepare. workout, though. Yeah. 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 Not bad at all. So or just stay covered up. You know? Yeah. There you're going. All right, so let's jump in now to kind of some good hiking principles just for being out in the in the cold weather. Um, you know, we talk a lot here with the with the parks, maybe not necessarily on the podcast, but just with great parks in general. Um, you know, with leave no trace principles. Maybe our listeners have heard about them, maybe not, um, but you can certainly you know look those up online. Just type in leave no trace. But some good hiking principles. You know, we've talked about kind of the safety ones, what to take with you, what to wear, what to you know, look out for, but some other stuff, like one that I like to point out is, you know, the wintertime things might look bare and it might be, Hey, I can go off the trail here. It's no big deal. It's, you know, just frozen ground. Well, that's not always going to be the case. I mean, you might be stepping on, you know, some, some new shoots that maybe haven't quite, you know, popped out of the ground yet, or just things that are kind of getting ready for spring. Um, Maybe there's things under the leaves, under the snow. If you're turning over logs, well, that's, you know, that's a really warm place um, for certain animals and insects to kind of overwinter. So, you know, you kind of be respectful that, hey, there are still, there's still a lot of things happening in the wintertime that we might just not be aware of that we, but we kind of need to be conscious of. Do you have any, any thoughts on kind of, you know, just good principles in general of just, or practices, I should say, in winter hiking? I think you mentioned one earlier, which is like letting someone know where you're going and when you're returning. So if something does happen, you have someone looking out for you. But if you're already out there, something you can do is kind of what you're alluding to, or I would assume you're alluding to, is stick to the trails. Yeah. So if there's an established trail already, try to stay on that trail so that we're not disturbing the habitats for all those animals and plants that are either hibernating or starting to get ready for the spring uh, thaw. So staying on trail is one way of doing that. Yeah, so basically, yeah, it's kind of just... Be safe all the way around. Stay, yeah. Stay on the trail. So so what is, do you have a favorite winter hike? Mm. A favorite trail in the parks? I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of really good ones. Um, at Winton Woods, I, I like the Kingfisher Trail a lot. It's got a great view. But then you could also argue the same thing over at Shawnee Lookout. They've got three really yeah. good trails over there. So yeah. I'd say between between these two parks... Winton and, Sh- and Shawnee Lookout. I I like hiking around those different trails they have out there. The nature trails, that is. Yeah. Yeah, Shawnee is definitely one of my favorites. It's 
great views of the river. Mm-hmm. It's it's always it's a little bit more out there. It's it's calm. It's so peaceful. We talk a lot about eagles, I think, on this podcast, but it's a great place to see eagles. I think I've mentioned that in like four episodes now, but yeah, that's that's a that's a great place. Another question, what is, what's the coldest experience you've ever had of, say, not just maybe even a hike, but like even camping out in the wintertime? A lot of people have, have friends, they like to do freeze outs. You mm-hmm. know, they find like some of the coldest days in the winter and just go camping. What's, what's your experience with that? I think so. I used to work up at the Cuyahoga Valley National Park and uh, run field trips with uh, kids from all over the the city, uh, Cleveland and Akron. And uh, we would continue with our hikes year round. And I just remember there was this one uh, day, we had lots of snow days where we would still keep working and hiking and everything. And it was a fresh snow. We were out in the middle of the day with hiking with the kids. I can't even remember what class we were teaching, but we go out for an hour to three hours, depending on the class and the time and the temperature. And it was so cold. We had all of our layers on. We had our snow gear. We had snow boots, gloves, mittens, hand warmers, hats, everything. Kids were having so much fun putting new tracks in the ground. Eventually, we found some deer tracks in like way off in this fresh snow. We see um, what we think might have been mule deer, but aren't very common for that area, so I'm still not sure. But the experience was just so cool, and we could just sit down in the snow with all that gear on and then just enjoy the experience of what was in front of us. And it didn't even matter how cold it was, but it was like inches of snow, and you're just the wind's blowing, and it, nothing else mattered because we were just watching what was happening right there in front yeah. of us in the middle of winter. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a good lesson because basically the more prepared you are, mm-hmm. the longer you're going to be able to stay out yep. and the more experiences you're yep. going to be able to have. That's yeah. nice. I remember as a kid, I would one of my favorite things to do when it would snow is go out into the woods and act like I'd been stranded out in the woods for like three <laughs> days and like crawl through the snow, like trying to, you yeah. know, like I'm on some Arctic expedition yeah. with Shackleton or something like that. And yeah, that's that's fun. Yeah, I my other one of my favorite things too is just, especially like at night, there's something, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, especially if you're going to winter hike at night, you really got to be prepared but you know just when it's snowing and it's you can just sit there and you can hear the snow falling and you get like an owl calling or something i mean there's just there's something especially on a clear night yes that moon like like flooding in and like reflecting off of the snow yeah yeah Yeah, there's something magical about that you know and i think a lot of people you know meet a lot of people that hey i like to hike in the summer but then you only get a small portion of them that oh i like to hike in the winter too and i I, you know for those of you out there that maybe think hey it's too cold you know gear up get get some layers on whatever you got you know go out there and check it out because if if you've never really gone on a good winter hike i think you're you're missing out on something that's pretty pretty special and, and amazing to do I'm here with Paul at Farber Corner Nature Preserve and I wanted to tell him this story about this really neat creature who hibernates inside of a shagbark hickory and I asked him if there's any shagbark hickories here in the forest and the thing that he has showed me has a circumference of about three and a half inches and it's it's not gonna work to say the least. <laughs> you ask for a shagbark, here it is. I was gonna blow his mind with supposedly there's a species of uh, spider. It's uh, the tanned uh, jumping spider. 
And what they do is they huddle together in shark bark hickories, according to this book from the 50s, in groups of 50 or more. Really? So I was gonna, I was gonna be like, all right, uh, Paul, let's go up to this hickory, and I was gonna open the bark, and there wow. were gonna be hundreds of spiders uh, camping out under the bark. <laughs> well, now I really want to find a shark bark. I know. Well, like if you guys were here right I, now, you would uh... be laughing your heads off with how tiny this hickory <laughs> is. Like hey, I think hey. I could put my hand around it. Every like, every tree has to start somewhere. That, every tree that is starts true. as a seed. I won't be I won't be opening up any bark <laughs> on this little guy. Well, okay. I think we I should mean, name him. I, I What do you want to name? Can him? we name I don't know, kind of Ben. Ben the, the little hickory. Ben Ben the little hickory. Let's see if we can find I mean there's there's got to be another one. There's got to be a bigger one somewhere, right? Well, let's look for it. Let's um, see what we can find is, here. That's hilarious. <laughs> So I, you know, I thought it'd be fun to, is that it? No, it's an old black locust. You know, it's winter time is, is fast approaching. So I thought it'd be fun to talk about uh, animals in winter and how they survive. And because nature has come up with so many different ways. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it is, I think it's kind of an interesting subject because I, to be honest, it's one of my weaker um, th things that I talk about because there's just so much to learn and there's so many terms and everybody's always arguing about brumination and I've, I said that wrong again yeah, didn't I? Brumation. Brumation, brumation hibernation, um, all, all the different, what's the other one? The uh, oh, There's torpor, diapause, yeah, diapause, estivation. Yeah and, and, and the, the lines between them all are so muddled like do do bears truly hibernate? No. People say no, but but they lose but, like uh, how much of their body weight? But the, like twenty five percent of their body but weight. But the difference is that they don't really lower their body temperature that much. Yeah, but and so that's yet, kind of yet, the, the yet catch. they spend three months without peeing. <laughs> um, but you know, but and but <laughs> animals that do that are believed to do true hibernation do urinate and defecate oh, well, during see, that period. Just, see, that's why I don't Some do might wake up a little programs. bit uh, and, and, you know, do their deed and, and go back. Okay. Well, but even bears, I mean, they give birth over the wintertime when they're sleeping. Yeah. Well, well, so, I mean, animals that are truly hibernating, they're lowering their breathing, they're lowering their metabolism, their heart rate, lowering their body temperature, actively lowering their body temperature. Bears don't necessarily lower it that much. They're also able to give birth. So but imagine waking up one day with another kid. They recycle their own urine through their body to prevent muscle mass because they're in such a deep sleep. I don't know. I think that's pretty impressive. I know things like wood, what was it? Groundhogs? Groundhogs actually do go they, through uh, true hibernation. And, so, and snakes, they don't go through true hibernation. They go, they, they broom it. Roommate, right. Broom and I think right? the difference is, is that with, with hibernation, these animals are actively lowering their body temperature. With brumation, reptiles are at the whim of their surroundings, so they're not, nature is lowering their temperature for them in essence. Yeah, they're not actively doing it, so therefore it's not hibernation, it's not brumation, but their metabolism and breathing is slowing, heart rate's slowing, all that. Yeah, and they, they are kind of uh, susceptible to their environments, and their body has right. to stay above, you know, freezing right. to, in order to survive. And that's right. why what I really think is fascinating is that the, we've got this frost layer in our soil. So basically, I, I, if I'm wrong, I apologize, but in Ohio, I think it's somewhere like two feet deep, two and a half feet deep. So um, if you go two feet deep underneath the soil, um, basically it's gonna stay above 
freezing uh, no matter how cold it gets outside so creatures such as box turtles snakes um, insects if, if they travel below the frost line um, they can stay in a state of brumation um, in, in another fancy word and possibly in the hibernaculums uh, I know Ooh. fancy word um, we need a sound effect for the big word of the day <laughs> well that's the thing about like hibernation is there's so many big words it's it's, it's kind of yeah. fun but it's it's also uh, a lot of terminology but uh, yeah so so basically because we have this frost layer um, all, all our cold blooded um, friends get to survive the winter which is which is and, and if, if animals haven't adapted to um, brumate in the cold weather, then they just won't survive in Ohio. That's that's part of the reason why uh, you don't really find cottonmouths here in Ohio. I know a lot of people ask, you know, uh, oh, you know, are there cottonmouths in the Ohio River? Well, they could potentially come up from Mississippi, Tennessee, Alabama, maybe even Kentucky, um, but but they don't uh, they they don't uh, brumate like the other. They don't go underneath that frost layer. And, 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 and stay uh, stay nice and toasty for the winter time. So the chances of seeing cottonmouths here are very, very, very small. And there's certainly not going to be enough of them then to actually create a breeding population. Exactly. Uh, you know what I found just a couple of weeks? I was I tell you, me and spy, me and me and spiders are having a very <laughs> close connection the past month or two. Um, I was lifting up a log uh, to look for um, uh, fishing spiders. And uh, there was a ringneck snake crawled up inside the nice. log. I know it was I amazing. Love uh, it was absolutely gorgeous, and it, and it was already in its um, brumated. It was already completely out of it, um, and uh, he was, uh, yeah, he was pretty neat. Yeah, so you know, Tom and I were out here we're at Farbuck, and like he said, we're discussing animals in winter. Basically, nature, they they have three things that they can choose from. They can migrate. They can hibernate. Or brewmate. Or brewmate or torpor. Or they can just kind of tough it out. They've, they've adapted to the cold and they've found behaviors that will allow them to stay active during the winter and survive. Obviously, humans toughed it out. Although we do cheat with things like, you know, heat and coats and all that kind of stuff. But one animal that does tough it out that I've... The reason I'm bringing this up right now is because there's a bunch of them around us. We stopped here on the trail and somebody left some peanuts on the side of the trail. So you can probably already guess that I'm talking about squirrels. And I kind of wanted to point this out to basically say that peanuts aren't really good for squirrels for a couple of reasons. One, um, the nutrients in the peanut aren't, it's not a high nutrient food for squirrels. Number two is squirrels are rodents. And as a rodent, their two front teeth grow continuously through its entire life and so it's important that they continue to shave down those front teeth so eating things like hickory nuts and walnuts with that heavy outer shell um, they they keep their teeth from growing too long as it's shaved down on that shell but then also they there's a fungus that can grow on the outside of unboiled peanuts raw peanuts I should say um, that we can't see but it can grow on there and if squirrels are to ingest that it has the potential to kill them um, so they eat these peanuts, they fill up on it, they don't get a lot of nutrients out of it, and then because they're full, they don't actually eat what they should be eating to keep their teeth down and to actually give them the nutrients they need to survive in the wintertime. So, and they just start um, getting lazy, <clears throat> they start using the elevator instead of the stairs. Right, I mean, you'll, you'll, eventually you'll just find them on your couch, like flipping through Netflix, <laughs> you know. I mean, they, they go through an hour of Netflix to finally just <laughs> land on the office. You Tying know. in squirrels? Um, they do something that I thought only birds could do, which I thought was kind of amazing. Um, they have um, countercurrent uh, heat exchange with their arteries and their veins um, to tough out the winter. 
Um, so I thought that was, I think that's really interesting. So, so uh, long story, probably still long story because I never shut up. Um, I, I, uh, <laughs> I received a, um, a heat uh, camera, a thermal camera. And part of this idea with this thermal camera was that I was going to go into the forest and look for white-tailed deer, uh, birds, uh, owls, and uh, just coyotes, raccoons, uh, opossums, just all creatures that you otherwise wouldn't be able to see, even though technically you could still use a flashlight, but that's not as fun. Um, and one of the problems is if you try and record a hawk with a thermal camera, you're just going to get a tiny little red blob um, because the um, feathers are so good at insulating. Basically, the only thing that you can see on, on, on a hawk's body that's, uh, that's radiating heat are their legs and um, their fit, like a little part of their face around their eyes. And, and then that's all you're going to get. And so when learning about hawks, I, I learned about this, um, this situation where their feet um, can stay warm even in the coldest of temperatures. So it could be negative 10 degrees out and they don't get frostbite. And the reason why is because their veins uh, and their arteries are interlocked. They're very close together. So as that blood from uh, their arteries goes down into their legs, um, it's actually that warm blood is warming up the blood that's coming back from their feet and into their heart. By the way, you won't be able to see this, but I'm doing a very good demonstration. <laughs> yes, I, I will vouch for uh, Yeah, of, of a, I'm a very visual person. So using this, this is our first hike in the forest podcasty, by the way. So this yes, is kind of is. this is kind of neat. Um, so so as, as that blood is going back into their body, it's getting warmed up by the uh, the, the blood going down into their uh, legs. So their internal core temperature stays warm, and their feet don't get. Um, hot and then cold really fast and, and cause ice crystals. Basically, their feet stay above 32 degrees no matter how cold it is. Um, so that's why ducks can, you know, swim in water when it's extremely cold. And that's why um, hawks can have their bare scaly talons out in the, in the coldest of temperatures. And it turns out that um, squirrels actually have a, a kind of a similar system in their little hands because their hands and their feet don't have um, as much fur on their body as, as the rest of their body. So in order to prevent um, frostbite, they, they have almost like a similar where their hands will get very cold, but it will just stay warm enough um, to, to where they don't get frostbite. And uh, one last little thing about this is that it turns out uh, morning doves aren't quite as... Um, adapted to our winter as uh, other birds are. They're, they're more of a recent addition. Uh, so morning doves get frostbite a lot easier than our other native birds. And uh, that's why there's a higher chance of like morning doves and rock doves of having, you know, one leg uh, in, in the, uh, yeah, isn't that crazy? Because I, because they ha aren't quite as adapted to our winds. Uh, I, I, I think that's uh, really cool, just how highly adapted birds off um, to the winter. I mean, their internal body temperature is 104 degrees. Um, they have uh, layers of down and uh, all, all their feathers. It's just, uh, people ask me, you know, why don't you bring in our birds of prey um, inside where it's warmer during the winter time? They're happy as Larry. Uh, they're, they're, doing, they're right as rain. And if we were to bring them into the uh, building and then take them out again and bring it's kind of like if you were forced to go in and out of a building all day and take your coat off put it back you, you actually um, reduce your um, get basically they're not used to the, they don't get used to the weather as well and that actually can put more stress on them than if you just left them outside so uh, really neat I know you wanted to talk about yeah I mean continue with birds <clears throat> you talked about how high their their internal temperature is and there's one that you'll find here in the winter time they will will nest way far further north they'll come down here um, to overwinter 
and their internal temperature is even higher than a normal birds. It goes up to somewhere around 109 degrees. Nice. Uh, I mean, that's just that's hot. I mean, that's so if you get two of them, you could human. start a fire. <laughs> just rub them together. <laughs> just rub, yeah. We don't don't try this at home, folks. Don't try that at home. But so they're coming here, and they're even overwintering still even further north. Um, so this is still kind of south for them, where it's even warmer. But they are a tiny bird. They only weigh five grams. Which, if you're wondering how much five grams is, take two pennies out of your pocket, and that is about, I think a penny weighs about two and a half grams. You know what so they could also do? If they haven't cut their nails in a while? Just cut, the, is that gross? I'm I sorry. I the pennies. All right, I won't. All well, right. but now you kind of have me intrigued. How much do our nails weigh? I know, we'll, we'll, if you guys want to, spoil it. no, not spoilers, because we haven't done it yet. We are gonna do this, and we're gonna see how much our fingernails weigh. So there's this teeny tiny bird, um, Yet they can keep their body temperatures extremely high, even in very, you know, sub below freezing temperatures. And they do that through a, a couple of things. One is they puff up their feathers. So these feathers can hold in huge amounts of heat. So as Tom was talking about um, how, you know, if you put a thermal camera on a hawk, you really only get a couple little specks because yeah. they're holding that heat in and that's the same they're not with radiating these, right they're not radiating any heat and so if you put a thermal camera on this kinglet you're really not going to see anything because it's keeping that heat it's which is kind um, of a bummer trapping that heat cool at right the same time. well but you can still find kinglets pretty easy in the winter time even though they're tiny they move around a lot but they're going to be constantly calling and so you hear these little teats 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 and the reason they're doing that is because they're listening for other golden crown kinglets in the area. So once it gets dark and they're done foraging, um, and they don't really even eat a lot of seeds during the wintertime, which is interesting. They're looking for um, insects that are, you know, kind of overwintering. Insects? Um, caterpillars and things like that that are overwintering in, under the bark of trees. Oh, okay. Um, that was one of the things <clears throat> I took me until college until, until I learned about is... I was just I was just under the impression that you know birds migrated south to the ones that got cold and they felt a bit chilly. Um, and it turns out the birds that migrate to the south are the ones that eat insects. Need so te technically, the birds that migrate south, they could do completely fine in our cold winters. It's just that they want the, um, the they just eat insects, so they need to go down south to eat the insects. That's why a lot of the birds. That's why you have your bird feeders out in the winter time with all the seeds, because the birds that are here, the the chickadees, the titmice, even the you know the downy woodpeckers and all those guys, they just eat. They love to eat seeds. And right. So so and they can eat. Uh, even in the wild, you know, there's there's all these extra seeds that have left been left over from um, the, the the fall that they're just gonna that they usually would just munch over uh, uh, and survive well. Well, uh, unless you're a kinglet, you right, can also kinglet, eat insects, yeah. which is kind of so. But you're just you're foraging all day long, and you're making these calls to listen to make sure that you're not alone, essentially. So because once it hits winter time, they can huddle together, and typical typical Ohio temperatures, they can do okay, you know, on their own. Um, but further north where they breed or if they stay a little bit still further north through the winter time, they huddle together. So they're holding that heat within themselves, within their feathers, but then also amongst their group. And sometimes it can reach temperatures that if that bird stopped calling and kind of lost its pack, essentially, it probably won't survive that night because it's going to drop too cold. Um, and they're not going to be able to, to keep their body temperature up. So they also go into a torpor, which is... To me, the best way to describe it is kind of like a mini hibernation. It's not, you know, months and months of sleeping. It's just, hey, we're just going to kind of sleep through the evening, lower, you know, our meta metabolism and body temperature and all that. 
I feel like it's birds amazing. are some of the ultimate winterers. <laughs> like, uh, I, I was learning about this bird called a black pole warbler. They're a little bit bigger than the kinglets. They're, uh, by the way, kinglets are gorgeous birds, right? They They've are, got that yeah. yellow Yeah, actually, if you stuff. describe them, I mean, they're kind of like this pretty greenish, grayish color, um, but they're golden crown kinglets because they have a little, just a little tuft of, of like yellow mobile, feathers. Right? Yeah, and sometimes it's it's much more visible than others. Yeah, look for a lot of movement and just that constant teeth. But kinglets, um, I, they, they may. I don't know. I, 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 we're, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to do a game of uh, top trumps on this one, um, because there's another bird that's top a little. Top trumps. Bit, is yeah, that? It's, it's I don't a, know if it's, we play that in America. You don't. <laughs> the black pole warbler uh, doesn't. He. Um, they actually um, digest their own internal uh, internal organs when they're flying. How does that happen? How I have do you no digest? idea. It must be, I think it's a hormone uh, release of some kind. Uh, so, so they're up in really far north in Canada, Newfoundland and all, and all those areas, and they travel all the way down to South America, uh, over 2,000 miles. And again, they're, they're bigger than the kinglets. They only weigh about uh, 15 grams, and they, they bulk up to about 20 grams. And now, um, That doesn't sound like a lot, but you're talking about they're adding... 33% of their weight. Yeah. Which so let's say you're, you know, I weighed, I don't know, 150 pounds. So that would be like me adding another 50 pounds. I was about so to in say, a short period of time, I would now be 200 pounds. Yeah, I was about to say, you're killing me with this math business. I'm an interpreter, <laughs> well, not a mathematician. 15 grams, 150 pounds. It's not I know, it's not that hard, but whatever. <laughs> um, so it is a significant amount of weight. And uh, they lose all of that weight to the point where, as I said, they start ingest the, digesting their own internal organs but by the time they make it down uh, south. And they actually fly over the Atlantic Ocean. They don't fly um, through, the, uh, th th through the continent like other migratory birds do uh, and uh, yeah what's really uh, kind of interesting is that only 50% of them survive the migration so I, I just feel like that's kind of a low number for you know like what, what I, I, I don't know why don't they just you know hang out in Florida like why don't why do they have to go all the way to South America uh, what, what do you think Paul you know I, I I had a professor in college and he would always say nature goes with what works not with what is always best and so it seems to me, although 50% still seems like, is that working? But I mean, it does. I mean, I you, guess you it know, is for them, black right? holes are still in existence. You can digesting your find own them internal here in the organs might not but seem that, like the best. Maybe just eat a few more seeds. You know, we have two kidneys. Right? <laughs> you know, can I just digest a kidney here real quick? Yeah. I, that just that sounds absurd to me. I know it does. I, and then when they get to where they finally land, um, the, the hormones kick in to where um, they regrow their internal organs. Which is, which is, yeah, it's amazing. And what these scientists did, they put a little tiny, a little tiny, like for example, 15 grams is like the weight of a pen. They put a GPS, tiny little GPS um, uh, gadget on these black pole warblers and, and GPS their roots all the way down uh, to South America. So I just, that would be a really neat job uh, <laughs> to study these tiny birds, uh, which is rare. Unfortunately, I don't think, um, I don't think you really see them in Cincinnati. Um, in the spring. They, it in spring migration, if you catch them in April or May, you might. Yeah, pretty neat though. Re really neat adaptations. Uh, you know what? Did we? Did you want to keep on looking for that shot? You want to just see real quick if there's any hickories, just so yeah. we can pull one little bit to see if there's a bunch of jumping spiders hiding inside. Um, that'd be that'd be really cool. How are you doing today? Okay. Hello. First day, get out for a while. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Can't play golf. Nice. Gotta go up and walk. There you go. <laughs> so we've ventured our way to the pond here at Farbach. 
Um, talk about a few more animals. Uh, you know, a question that we get a lot is what happened to the turtles? And I just tell them, well, they just bury themselves in the mud and they kind of give me this incredulous look like, you know, think I'm joking, but they have cells, I believe in their mouth and on their cloaca, which their cloaca, their cloaca, cloaca, cloaca. I'm Paul. I'm maybe, a really small maybe. guy. <laughs> I'm going to say things Maybe. all fancy. Either way, but these special cells help them to absorb oxygen. Yeah, which is true. Out of the water. I mean, I, I think uh, I think they're obviously not as uh, efficient as, as like lungs and such. So I think they I think it's something they can do, but they still need to have their metabolism reduced. Right, right. So, they're still like brumating. Yeah. Essentially, they can say about freezing, they'll be all right. But there's other frogs that can freeze yes right? like the wood frog uh which is crazy i mean they die their heart stops beating their brain activity stops functioning uh they basically go into a frozen state and then when spring arrives or well, march and april uh even march uh, as soon as it starts to get warmer you'll start hearing the wood frogs again they'll thaw and uh i, I guess i have to I, I feel like i kind of can relate to wood frogs <laughs> paul uh being a diabetic uh, which you guys might might not Sorry, know. I just laugh. You're like, I'm relating. I'm laughing. I'm like, because I'm di- now I feel bad that I laughed. Well, well no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I just think it's really interesting. Like, well, unfortunately, the extra sugar in my blood is uh, bad for me. But pretty much the sugar in the wood uh, frog blood is keeping their cells um, structured. It's, it's almost like a, almost keeping their cells in shape so it doesn't collapse uh, underneath uh, the frozen water. And it, al- it also prevents icicles forming within the, their blood, which can damage their cells. And uh, what's, what's also interesting is that um, the water around their cells uh, can freeze, but that nice, warm, goopy, um, syrupy blood uh, with all that extra sugar um, keeps in t- I, it reduces the water content uh, so that the mitochondria the uh, well, what, what do they call it the uh, the 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 engine of the cell engine, yeah. that, no there, there's a fun word that people use for, for the mitochondria powerhouse. Uh, the powerhouse of the powerhouse cell that's the cell. it um, uh, so, so basically yeah they're, they're using this extra sugar in their body um, to prevent those uh, icicles from forming and damaging their cells so like the Inside the cells, it's thawed, but outside the cells, this frog is frozen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so their inner cells can stay intact and, and not be frozen while they're outside of their body. Uh, is they're really tough little guys, pretty much. Uh, really tough little uh, amphibians, which is really, really cool. So we've discussed hibernation, animals that hibernate, brumate, torpor. We discussed animals that migrate. We discussed animals that tough it out. So my question to you is, if you could pick... What you wanted to do through the winter, would you want to migrate, hibernate, or just tough it out? Well, it depends on what creature I am, right? No, 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 you, you, you're a human. If you could pick, you, if you, Tom Hughes, could pick what you wanted to do through the winter. Oh, so I don't get to be a bird? I was about to say, I'd be a bird so I can fly. So I can migrate. Well, you can get on a plane if you want to migrate. You no, can get I'm on a plane out. and go a, south. I love the winter time. That's all. I, I tell you, I, I'm right at home. I, I would. I, 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 I do more hikes in the fall and winter time than I do in the spring and summer time. I have to agree. I, you know, honestly, I'm the same way. I love a cold weather hike. I would be so upset if I missed winter. Yeah. I just love that crisp, yeah. airy feeling. Oh, it's just, it's just amazing. Well, it's like um, I, I talked in the intro. You know, we look at wintertime, we just think it's sleeping because you come out and there might not be a lot of movement. But when you sit and you really start to watch, you see so much happening. And it's winter, everything in nature, it's just 
getting ready to explode in the spring. It's yeah, like the way, like it's the not way like, this, oh, we're going to chill for a while. It's like we're just, we're in preparation and we, we're just waiting to Like explode. the way there's hundreds of jumping spiders hiding underneath <laughs> a hickory bark, just waiting for the springtime to come covered in their webs. I need to see that verified. All right. I need to see that verified. So I am pretty excited about this idea, but I am not saying that it's like, it is a thing. I'm saying that I've read about it and it sounds really interesting. I haven't seen it myself yet. Clearly here at Farbach, we, we just don't have shag bark hickories. There's there's the one that we found. So I uh, think Scooby now, right? In the future. Yeah, so <laughs> Tom called it Ben, and I thought, you know, Scooby, kind of for the irony that it's a shag bark, but we're not actually going to call it Shaggy. Call it Scooby instead. I don't know. I, I think that's better than Ben. I like, I, like, yeah. uh, I like Scooby. I think here in the future, we need to... Um, find a park with a lot of shag bark. Yeah, we'll be able to yeah. corroborate and uh, yeah, supply if, if this is a true, or, or if it's just an old wives tale created by a um, eccentric professor in the 50s. Folks, that is our show for today. Thank you, Allison, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. If you want more information on the Leave No Trace principles we talked about, you can go to lnt.org. For more information on Adventure Outposts and all the nature programming Great Parks offers, you can check out our website at greatparks.org. And of course, there's information on all of our trails there as well, if you're interested in doing some winter hiking. And of course, thank you, listener, for joining us on Take It Outdoors, a podcast where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. Make sure to check back next month for our next episode. And until then, I'm Paul Sievers. Get outside, enjoy nature.